Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, and we hear from the Reverend Canon Kristen White as she preached from the lectionary, which was Isaiah 58, 1-12, and Matthew 5, 13-20. As always, you can find more sermons or information about All Souls on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. from among you the pointing of the finger the speaking of evil if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted then your light will shine in the darkness God says to the people Israel through the prophet Isaiah you are the salt of the earth Jesus says you are the light of the world he says to them on the sermon on the mount I am grateful for this opportunity to be here with you today and through these next several days. Thanks for welcoming my husband, John, and me. Tomorrow, my colleague, Canon Brendan O'Sullivan Hale, and our bishop, Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs, will be here too. We are here to learn from you, all souls, to hear about and see how you are doing the work of justice right here in this time and this place, repairing as repairing and restorative people right here in your community. We look forward to spending time in Jordan Court and meeting people who help make it a reality. We look forward to hearing about the Isaiah Project, whose name and whose heart are drawn from today's text. I give thanks for the ways that you serve as both salt and light by preserving what is essential and by helping to shine a new path. The people of Israel had been gone from home for decades at the point of today's first lesson, long enough that those who returned would not have had memories of their own of the land they had left. They had followed God's direction through the prophets, and they had used it to shape their life in exile in Babylon. They built houses, and they lived in them. They planted gardens in this new land, and then they ate the food they grew. They married, and they had children, and then their children grew up, and their children married, and they had children. They forged new lives, and still, they knew the rituals, and they kept them. They studied the law. They kept the patterns of their faith that had been handed down to them. They followed the rules, and now, and now, they had come through the time And they had arrived at the point at which they needed to leave those houses they had built, the gardens they had planted and weeded and watered and tended and harvested. It was time to take their families and leave the lives that they had forged, to go home to a land that they knew from sacred story, but did not yet know in their own bones. The people of Israel returned, just like God commanded. They rebuilt the the temple, just like God commanded. They prayed and they studied as God commanded. They kept the fasts and the holy days as God commanded. They followed the rules. But the scripture tells us they also sought after their own needs. They attacked each other. They kept food for themselves when their neighbors were hungry. They avoided eye contact when they hurried past people on the street who needed their help. They ignored the oppressed who were right there in their midst. Maybe they even made it worse. But they followed the rules. 
And in today's first lesson, they do not understand why God is not showing them favor. Why do we fast? You do not see, they cry out. Why humble ourselves and you do not notice? You call this a fast, the prophet asks? A day acceptable to the Lord? The people do not understand God's anger with them. They think that by fasting, they are pleasing God and will bring God's favor. They have been formed in this practice and instructed that it is a pious and righteous thing to fast and to humble themselves before God. Do those rules provide the people a sense of safety? Handed down from generation to generation, those rules had framed for the people of Israel a life in exile in Babylon. So what does it mean then to return home to a home they have not known but the land that is their land of promise and find that the practices that had shaped their lives were no longer sufficient? The temple is rebuilt. The land that had been their home is once again theirs to claim. But the patterns by themselves do not hold because God expects a partnership with restored and restorative people. The people are participants in God's life, agent in, agents in God's desire for them. Is not this the fast that I choose, God asks through the prophet Isaiah, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Today's gospel passage from Matthew is the continuation of the Sermon on the Mount. In his commentary this week, Dr. Matt Skinner describes the Beatitudes that we heard last Sunday as Jesus' dream for what the world could be. And he says the first three verses of today's gospel tells us who we are situated within that dream that God has for us, that Jesus shares. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. You are the light of the world. At this point of this gospel, Jesus has been baptized by John and tempted in the wilderness. He has called the disciples who dropped their nets and left their lives to follow him. He taught in their synagogues and cast out the demons that consumed people. He cured every disease and he healed people. And all those people started following him too. So now there's this great crowd of people who've been called or taught or healed or free or made whole. And he looks at all of them together and says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. What he did not do, he did not point at the person who sat through a particularly complicated lecture in the synagogue two weeks ago and say, you, you are extra blessed. <laughs> he did not look sideways at the man who was still trembling after he had cast a demon out from him earlier that day, and said, hmm, you're mostly blessed. He said it to all of them, to all of them together, blessed are you. And in the same manner, in today's passage, he tells his followers then, and he tells his followers now, who they were, who we are. Salt of the earth. Light of the world. Together, 
you help preserve what is essential. Together, you help us find our way. And then Jesus did this kind of scary thing where he changes course to talk about the law, and he reminds us that Matthew's gospel is ever pointing us toward Jesus as its fulfillment. He makes a pretty dramatic shift, I'd say, from the language of blessing to and salt and light to, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. <gasps> Yikes. a tricky thing, I think, to hold the lessons of both of these passages and not take them as some kind of a holy to-do list, an even more excellent list of sacred obligations. Every stroke of every letter of the law to be accomplished, the righteousness of some pretty righteous-seeming people to be exceeded, there are bonds to be loosed and yokes to be broken and loaves of bread to be shared and kindred to not be hidden from. Our words for righteousness in English, our word for righteousness, falls short of the expansiveness that it can include in sacred texts. English might recognize the word righteousness as moral perfection. But the word in Hebrew holds broader comprehension. It can include everything from redemption to sustenance to protection to blessing. I think these lessons are probably not calling us to create individual improvement plans for the achievement of righteousness. Instead, I wonder, I wonder if our sacred work is to hold to the fulsomeness of that wider meaning of the word and do righteousness together. And I can only believe that this world has always cried out in need for justice always needed the work of righteousness. But surely, if ever, we need it right now. Surely in this week when Tyree Nichols was buried after being so viciously attacked at the hands of people who should have protected him, surely we can hear a call to do righteousness in our time with the gifts that we have to share among the neighbors that God calls us to love. Ultimately, it will be God's righteousness that endures, God's redemption, God's sustenance, God's protection, God's blessing. As disciples, we can join ourselves to that work with the gifts we have to give and the time we have to share them. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, your light shall shine in the darkness. God called the people to more than just compliance with the law. God called them to hold what was underneath and inside of the law, to what was at the heart of the gift to the people Israel that God had given, and to all the faithful who would follow, all the way to us. Jesus assures the people that the law still matters. The words of the prophet still ring true. And he makes clear that righteousness is more than recognizing the appointed day and hour and letter and posture. Righteousness is the people allowing what is at the heart of the law to be inside their own chests, 
and then to share it out with the world. He has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it in ways that are greater than we can ask or imagine. If we are to follow, we need light enough to find our way. If we are to participate in God's life, to act as agents in God's desires for us, it helps for us to preserve and savor and share our experiences as disciples. If we are to be a restored and restorative people, it helps to know that it's not just one of us who's called to do that, but all of us together. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus tells the people then and now. You are the light of the, of the world. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, Isaiah promises. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You should be called repairers of the breach, restorers of the streets to live in. Blessed are you. Amen. Thank you.